Humanity is growing and connecting. Tomorrow's world needs more energy from more places. But to find our net zero future, we must overcome the natural constraints of many new energy sources. This is the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, where we look at the energy challenges of modern life and the innovators finding solutions. Join us for a low-carbon, high-energy conversation with your host, Joe Battier. This views of the host are his own and should not be viewed as those of any business, corporation, or government entity. Hello, and welcome to the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, brought to you by AWS Energy. I'm your host, Joe Battier. This is the show where we bring you low-carbon, high-energy stories from the people solving the energy challenges of modern life. Now today, I'm doing something a little bit different. I am going to be giving a an answer to a question that I've been asked a few times and more generally trolled on on LinkedIn. Why am I so bullish on renewables? As as many of you know, since you're listening to this podcast, I am bullish on renewables. I think that they are the future. We are in the energy transition, and that's where we're going. Now, last week we had the first OGGN industry mixer for the year, and I noticed a trend. We were talking about the hot topics of the day. We were talking about Russia. We were talking about inflation. We were talking about energy investment. And and we were also talking about the workforce of the future and how you can keep and retain talent in the oil and gas industry. Notice one thing that we didn't talk about at all was the energy transition that really ended up not being being a main question. But what I'm going to say today is that the energy transition is kind of underlying every single one of those those kind of in-your-face topics that we're looking at today, but we're not seeing that as the problem or the solution, that being the potential for using renewable energy to answer these questions about energy security, energy prices, keeping and retaining talent at your company. So I'm going to talk about that stuff today. What I'm first going to say is, why am I so bullish on on the energy transition? Why do I think renewables are the future? If you don't know, I am a geologist. I'm classically trained. I went to field camp. I spent six weeks going through a pair of boots and getting a great tan and losing 20 pounds. All of the other geologists completely understand what I'm talking about, but... Through that, I I grew in an appreciation for all things subsurface. So I I am pro energy, whether that is natural gas, oil, or my favorite geothermal. So this isn't this isn't going to be a bashing oil and gas. So please listen in and and keep up with me. But for the future, for our future energy mix, 
we could we could fully supply the installed capacity of the United States with just renewables if we wanted to. A few numbers out there, mostly coming from the government, for solar energy, we could, this is, this is a, a visual example. If you took Lake Michigan, covered the whole Lake Michigan in solar panels, we could generate enough electricity to completely replace the electric grid. For, for wind energy, if we were to install wind turbines at 80 meters height, the wind energy potential at that height is 10,000 gigawatts. That is a little less than 10 times the current electricity grid for the U.S. And then for geothermal, my favorite, there are estimates from the USGS that we have approximately 520 gigawatts of engineered geothermal systems, reservoir potential that we can pull from the ground. There are more modest estimates of somewhere for around 100 gigawatts. And then there are also there are also pushes or or real roadmaps to get to even installing 50 to 60 gigawatts by by the net zero goals of 2050. So using just those three, and I'm going to focus on solar, wind, and geothermal because I think those those are the ones that we should talk about and talk about in, well, those are the ones I'm going to focus on. I think there are places for hydro and hydrogen and renewable natural gas. There are definitely places for those. And as we transition into the the low carbon future that we're going to have, I think that those, the niches that each of our future energies is going to fill, we're going to, we're going to slowly realize where they fit in. Right now, I don't think it's clear, but I think it is very clear where and how we can combine what should be the big three, solar, wind, and geothermal into a, a fully low carbon grid. Now you're probably wondering, I keep talking about wind and solar, but there's an obvious red flag, that being that they're intermittent. And that, that's true. There is that problem that solar has approximately 25% capacity factor. And then wind, wind has about 35% capacity factor. So what that means is if you install 100 megawatts of wind capacity you're really only going to be getting a net 35 megawatts from that wind installation. And then with solar, you install 100 megawatts, you're only going to get about 25%. And, the, and that's a, over the course of the year. You're going to get approximately 25% of those hours throughout the year. You'll actually be generating electricity. So this is one of the big problems with wind and solar is the intermittent nature. 
And that's why we always talk about storage. Well, that's why we talk about storage, because if we could store that power that we're generating, then we can utilize it later. This is why there are pushes for everybody to have one of these Tesla power walls and to have a way to to store this electricity so that you can use it later. And I think that the this is a a a fairly large issue because when you look at a place like California, we have what's called the duck curve, which is the energy demand versus energy supply and what the curve looks like for that that load balancing of energy demand versus supply throughout the course of the day. What you have is you have the, at the beginning of the day, you have a small peak in energy demand, everybody getting ready for work. And then, and you also don't have a significant amount of solar resource online. Wind is not quite peak capacity. And then you have a, a drop in your energy demand and you have a huge spike in solar energy production. So now what you have is the kind of the back of the duck and your demand versus your supply drops. So you have way, way more supply throughout the middle of the day when you have a significant amount of solar production. And right now, all of this power, if there's no demand for it, that power ends up getting thrown out. So we're generating more power than we can actually use. And then at the end of the day, when everybody's going home, watching TV, making dinner, making dinner on their electric stoves, heating their homes with their electric heaters, you have this huge spike of demand, but now the sun's not shining anymore. So because the sun's not shining, all of that peak demand that you now have needs to be, it needs to either be generated using something that can be turned on on demand. This would be a peaking natural gas plant that is dispatchable power, or you need to have a dispatchable storage option like the lithium ion batteries. Now, the issue here, if we want to get as much solar on the grid as possible, and then we want to just lower the price, we could replace everything with, we could have solar power generation and then natural gas peaking plants as the backup to, to fit those, those demand parts. And that huge peak, I forgot to say, that's the head of the duck. So I really love this analogy that really what we're trying to do is we're trying to cut off the head of the duck. So that way we just have one nice, smooth, relatively balanced demand versus supply. So that way we can have a nice, even energy grid that is stable and something that is reliable. But when you have these intermittent renewables as a large majority of the grid, 
you end up with these curves that are they're less predictable and it, i will say solar and wind are quite predictable but as we see when we look at europe they're not they're not perfectly predictable we don't have them fully in line weather does crazy things let's look at texas last february when we had winter storms that shut down the entire state so we we can't perfectly predict and model for for natural disasters and freak snowstorms that's something that we just can't do but what we can do is we can store or have backup like natural gas to smooth out the the energy demand versus the supply one of the big issues here is that we want to maximize that energy which is why we talk about the soul the storage the problem with storage and this is another theme that you'll hear is that lithium ion batteries and and other forms of storage are inefficient and by being more inefficient they cost very they they're very expensive because they're very expensive this ultimately raises the price of the electricity that you're putting on the grid and this is going to be the case with with all storage options storage is the most expensive power that is going to be put on the grid so we do have an issue there with storage storage being a necessary part of a low carbon grid but it's also a very expensive part of a low carbon grid so how do we how do we find a way to maximize these intermittent renewable energy sources while also also optimizing the grid and load balancing and trying to make renewable energy as affordable as possible those are those are big questions i've got some ideas on answers i'm also going to try and get future guests on they can really talk about this but as a little teaser i think that something like pairing wind energy and solar energy and geothermal together is is the answer not only having traditional geothermal and engineered geothermal systems and super hot rock as the foundation of the energy grid as being that solid base load but then also looking at hybrid systems like a synthetic geothermal reservoir where you pair some type of low carbon renewable energy source with long term thermal energy storage in the subsurface in that way you can make you can make the optimized full usage of all of that installed wind and solar and you can you can then utilize those those energies where they're available and you're no longer weather dependent but now you are well you're weather independent 
and you aren't relying on the wind to blow all the time and you're not relying on the sun to always be shining because we can't really that this is this is cheesy we can't appreciate the sun if we never have a cloudy day eventually we start resenting it so the only way we can really appreciate what we're being given in that solar energy is by having a cloudy day or two and i say that more for the vitamin d than than the the actual electrons all that to say we i think there are ways that we can utilize better storage options to maximize intermittent renewables and then we can also work on going towards more of a smart grid and this was something i i had guests on early on talking about load balancing and touching on smart grid technology looking at algorithms to visualize when and where and how energy is being used and generated and if we tie that into this internet of things and the way that we are the way that we are looking at everything else if we start looking at the energy grid the way we do say say google and the way that all of our data is collected and how we can have the most precise ads thrown at us at all times i think that this this power of of these large data analytics and cloud computing can be utilized to make the grid more reliable and and utilize energy more efficiently and as you've all noticed the majority of the guests on my show are all talking about energy efficiency energy efficiency is one of the areas right now where we can gain the most ground and especially once we start talking about properly load balancing we we can make significant ground not only in the investment of new power plants because we can we can maybe cut down on the over capacity that we have to build but we can also start building power plants in a in a more intelligent way so with all that i I want to get to the discussions that were being had at at the first industry mixer of the year for OGGN. As I said, the questions that that were being asked, they were all revolving around these two themes. What we talked about were where to invest money, but part of that problem is that oil is dirty. We were talking about inflation and how are we supposed to be looking at or 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 protecting ourselves against inflation we talked about russia and how a russian invasion could how is that going to impact not only the energy markets but also the entire world and then on the flip side of that we were talking about talent how do we bring in younger talent? How do we keep younger talent? 
in the energy industry and and how do we as some of us as the younger talent how do we stay excited in the energy industry and how do we grow when what we're having right now is that great crew change where we don't have as many mentors and as many people willing to to invest in in us younger workers so that we are ready to take the reins as everybody is retiring really what what i interpreted those questions as was that us as people we don't want to pay more money but we also are scared about not getting paid enough so ultimately it all runs around the fear of security and really the energy transition kind of talks about that same thing the reason we're scared of intermittent renewables is because of that fear of security and that fear that that renewable energy is more expensive so there's one thing that i thought was was very interesting that i want to bring up here and i think it's going to be a it's going to be a longer conversation and it's going to be a difficult conversation to have. But when we look at the value cost ratio of renewable energy and what that is, is the levelized cost of the electricity being produced versus the levelized cost of the electricity that is being taken off the grid to put that renewable energy on. When you look at that comparison, almost all renewable energies are more expensive. So if you have a value to cost ratio of less than one, that means you are a more expensive energy than what you're replacing. And if the value cost ratio is greater than one, that means you are adding value to the grid you are generating electricity for a lower cost price all renewables nearly all renewables are more expensive interestingly enough geothermal has that has the best ratio and it did across the board it had an average of a 1.22 ratio that doesn't necessarily mean anything when i say it but what that what that's saying is that geothermal when and where available in the current conventional geothermal state is a cheaper more valuable energy than what is currently on the grid the only other renewable energy that had a high that had an average value cost ratio greater than one, meaning it was more valuable than the current grid, was standalone solar. And that's an average where the solar standalone could be less than the average value of the grid or more valuable than the average grid. And something that's interesting, I'm going to give two more numbers. 
solar hybrid, which is solar plus storage, was a lower value cost ratio, which means it was less valuable. But, and this was only, it was at a 0.96. So it's almost even with the current average price of the electricity grid. But battery storage, battery storage had an average value cost ratio of 0.76, which means it is, it is nearly, it's always more expensive than the current grid. And it's actually pretty bad. It's not that cheap. So it's not even nearly comparable, which ultimately means you have to find a way to justify adding cost to the grid in order to put that battery storage on the grid. Now, one thing I do want to say is that looking at this report, there are multiple different types of power generation. It is not just renewables. So there are things like supercritical coal and combined combined heat and power, natural gas. And I'm going to include a link to this report in the show notes. But I want to point out that geothermal is the best value proposition, according to this report and these energy outlooks. And then the solar standalone and all other powers on average, all other types of power are going to be more expensive than the current electricity grid. So this is a, it's a tough realization, maybe to some, that ultimately based on, based on energy outlooks, electricity is going to increase in price. It's going to not just be inflationary, but overall it is going to be more expensive because of the types of power generation that we are, that we're doing. And I think that that, but the important point here is that geothermal is the best. According to this, solar standalone is the second best. And then you have things like the solar hybrid and, and onshore wind are fairly good value propositions. But then you also have good value propositions for replacement of the current energy grid in in a natural gas combined combined heat and power. So it's not necessarily that all renewables are going to be the cheapest option. And this is why I was talking about earlier finding better energy storage, like a synthetic geothermal reservoir, like the idea of the iron-based batteries that are being pilot tested, like maybe if we can get hydrogen as the U.S. government wants with their energy earth shot to get hydrogen basically equivalent to the price of $5 in MCF natural gas. The, the goal with these is to make renewable energy more affordable and more competitive, but ultimately there is in most cases, it is going to cost more. And this is that kind of existential crisis that we're all going to be dealing with, is that energy 
if we go to a net zero future, energy is going to be more expensive. And yes, we currently already have inflation. So right now, why do people, why would people want to pay more for their electricity? It's a question that that I wrestle with. It's a question that I think we all need to be thinking about. Now, I I do want to say I looked up uh, I looked up salaries for renewable energy positions versus oil and gas positions because that's one of those common conceptions that renewable energy jobs are lower wage jobs, which means we're paying more more money for our electricity and ultimately increasing inflation. But then we're also getting paid less and we don't really need to talk about returns, but as a as an aside, renewable energy is going to it's going to pay more like a mutual fund than it is a meme stock or than a unicorn. So it it's a completely different business model than traditional oil and gas, which means that there's just a lot of different moving parts in terms of what we're looking at here for what the energy future holds in the financials. With all that, I I was talking about salary and salaries are pretty comparable. That's a good thing that they're comparable. It's all all within $1 to $2 of each other per hour. The problem, though, there is that if you're only getting paid a dollar more per hour, and let's just say you're at something something simple for me because I, I'm bad at math. Let's say you're getting paid $50 an hour and you get an extra dollar an hour or even $5 an hour. If you have a 10% raise, but you're, you're ultimately paying an extra 10 to 15% in your average, average electricity price, you're not really gaining in terms of cost of living and standard of living. You're ultimately just, you're just kind of staying stagnant. And I think that's a, it is a legitimate concern and a legitimate question to be asking. Where and how are we going to value the energy transition? Carbon markets, that's one, one option and one, one real potential. But I think there's also, there's a lot of those intangibles of of being able to breathe the air and not get stressed out about climate change. Which I say that in a jovial way. But I think there are, it is very possible to be concerned about climate change and to be concerned about where society is going to be at 2050 and where the climate is going to be at 2050. But it's also possible to not be concerned about it. So 
I think the real value in the energy transition is not going to be won and lost talking about LCOE and talking about about numbers. I think there is going to be multiple different layers where we talk about the financials, where we talk about the emotional and I guess the emotional attachment to what you're doing. And then there's going to be the environmental impacts of what we're doing. So I think that this brings me to that last point, that question of how does the oil and gas industry hold on to young talent? Well, me still still being in that that young professional age group, I can say for for my experience as an as a sample set of one, I care about the environment. I enjoy to be in the out of doors and and I I prefer to be out with with hearing birds and with hearing water running down a river and not necessarily heavy industry in the background. I think that knowing that my company cares about that, PetroLearn, knowing that my company is is gung-ho on renewable energy, on geothermal and CCS, and knowing that we are actively trying to make energy cleaner, that is one of the reasons why I personally plan to stay at my company forever. And I think that having that ethos, that company culture that is really focused on what your employees want to be focused on is is going to be part of how you retain talent. And I think a big part of that is going to be focusing in on the energy transition, focusing in on what your company is doing as a as a steward of the environment and as a steward of our society and how we impact not only the earth, but also our lives while we're on the earth. So I guess that's all I wanted to say. The, the OGGN industry mixers are a lot of fun. This was my first time on, on the mic, not asking the questions, but giving the answers And I would encourage everybody who's in the Houston area to go check out the Canon, to go to the next industry mixture that we have. We have them every month, the last Thursday of the month. And if you have any questions or comments or concerns, or you have a great story that you want to share on the air, send me a message. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can email me at at my OGGN email and and thank you all for for listening to me. Thank you all for continuing to follow the show. The interactions that I've had, I've really enjoyed listening to people, talking with people and having those conversations, especially when it is something that that is a new insight but also still 
Still one of those tough questions, kind of like what we're talking about here today, digging in and thinking about what the energy transition is going to do to us and how we need to accept that both mentally and, and I guess in physically, emotionally, financially, we have to accept it. So I really enjoy interacting with, with all of you. Please do me a favor, give me a five-star rating, leave me a review. We're in month two of 2022, and so far I've gotten no more reviews or five-star ratings. So go ahead and give me those ratings. And if you don't want to give me a five-star rating, send me an email and let's just talk about it. I really, really want to help share these stories I really want to ultimately see energy produced in a cleaner, more sustainable way. And that's why I'm here on the mic talking about this stuff. And I think I've been rambling for a while, so I think I'm going to cut it off. If you want to hear more great energy stories and keep up to date with the energy industry, connect with OGGN on LinkedIn or at OGGN.com. Remember to go check out the Canon. It was a lot of fun being there last week, and I'm excited to go back to Houston whenever I go back and work out of the cannon again. And until next time, remember to keep it low carbon and high energy. Join us again next week for another low carbon, high energy story on the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.